Welcome to Effortless Swimming, the podcast for swimmers, triathletes, and coaches. Join Australian swim coach Brenton Ford as he reveals the latest techniques and information to improve your swimming. Let's dive right in. Hi, Brenton Ford here. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming podcast. Before we get into today's episode, we are currently locking in our 2016 Freestyle Clinics with underwater filming and video analysis. So if you are located overseas, if you're not in Australia, if you're in the US or in Europe, then send me an email and tell me where you'd like me to come for next year. So you can contact me at brent at effortlesswimming.com. That's B-R-E-N-T at effortlesswimming.com. Tell me which cities or countries you'd like me to come to and we can look at visiting you for our clinics next year. So we've run these clinics for the last couple of years all across Australia, and they sell out very quickly. And the reason being is that the swimmers and triathletes that come to them are getting really, really good results with their swimming. For example, we ran a clinic uh, two days ago, and the next day I got an email from that person saying that they went down to their local pool, were doing their normal swim set, and their freestyle pace had increased by 20 seconds per 100. Now, that's that's not a, a typical result, but you can see what can happen when you just have two or three things to focus on that are specific to your stroke uh, and when it's really clear with the video analysis and actually seeing what you look like underwater and above the water and, uh, and knowing what you have to change and how you can go about it. So send me an email at brent at effortlesswimming.com and let me know where you'd like me to visit next year in the US or across Europe. So today's guest is Steph Solo. She's a nutritionist. And on today's podcast, we are talking about how you can get better performance in your swimming or open water swimming or triathlon by fueling yourself better. So we cover the four to five fundamentals of sports nutrition that every athlete should know. We look at the common misconceptions about food and nutrition. We also talk about some case studies of athletes that Steph has worked with and some changes that they've made and seen a positive result because of it. And we also talk about what types of athletes should seek a personal plan from their nutritionist and and why they would do it. And we also talk a little bit about supplements and what type of athletes should look into taking some sort of supplement. So here is Steph talking about the four to five fundamentals of sports nutrition that all athletes should know about. I think number one is nutrient timing. And if, if people out there don't know what nutrient timing is, nutrient timing is approach to what you eat, how much you eat, and when you eat to sort of optimize performance. And, and I talk about nutrition, nutrient timing a little bit because sports nutrition is an art and a science, if you will. Um, we base nutrition recommendations on scientific evidence, but really when we put nutrition into practice, it's really an art. It's about skill. It's about judgment. Uh, Regardless of how much science there is out there, whatever principles we choose to apply to our routine take practice and require adaptation. So when we talk about nutrient timing, it's really about um, not only knowing what to do, but practicing what you do, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, so that's, I think, number one. Number two would be carbohydrate. Carbohydrate is by far the body's preferred source of energy. It's most efficiently accessed and used. And a lot of times athletes are not getting enough carbohydrate. And I think carbohydrates have gotten a, a bad rap in the, in the last few years. Um, and there's all sorts of 
theories and principles about what we should be eating when. And, and I think there's science to support both sides of the equation, but carbohydrate is definitely what we need to get enough of. Um, the third thing is um, protein. And specifically, uh, I wanted to mention sarcopenia. And if, if people out there don't know what sarcopenia is, sarcopenia is the age-related loss of muscle and function. And it's really a progressive process. Um, and it can take place very gradually, let's say 3 to 8% reduction of lean muscle mass per decade after the age of 30 is sort of what happens. If we're not taking in enough quality protein and, and enough um, enough activity to sort of keep that muscle built, right? Um, so I think that's a really fundamental piece of, of sports nutrition and, and just in general nutrition as well. A lot of these concepts apply to not only just athletes, but, you know, people who aren't athletes. So with, uh, with that, do you see it as uh, if someone you know, continues to, um, to go to the gym or they continue to work out and they take in enough good proteins, do they effectively slow... Um, slow the rate at which they they lose that muscle mass, or can they kind of put it you know put it off, or is it, it's always going to go, um, but at a at a slower rate? Exactly, it's it's really about slowing. Um, it's about slowing that muscle loss and maximizing muscle protein synthesis because we can still build muscle as we get older. So if we maximize the muscle protein synthesis, the growing of that muscle and preserve what we have, then and also slow the muscle loss, then you know it's sort of a, a win-win. So does it need to be uh, weight training to, to be able to do that or – uh, you know, exercises like swimming, running, um, uh, you know, have a similar sort of impact or, or do you find that you really need to be doing some kind of strength training to, you know, to minimize the loss of that muscle mass? Yeah, good question. So strength training, but particularly, you know, any resistance training is going to help preserve that muscle tissue and help build that tissue. So swimming definitely falls into the resistance category. Yeah. Okay, great. I'm sure my audience would be um, happy and, to, to know about that. <laughs> to, that. <laughs> to know that they're not they're not wasting all of their time and energy doing nothing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's it. Um, and I think uh, maybe the last piece, or maybe number four on the fundamentals of of sports nutrition, would be hydrating and and pre- really preventing dehydration. It's it's hard to um, some people, it's really hard to notice when they're dehydrated and there are a lot of, most of the time when we are thirsty, we're already dehydrated. So we always say that thirst is, uh, onset too late and quenched too soon. So it's really about drinking enough fluid to prevent dehydration because sometimes it's really that we didn't, we didn't hydrate enough versus we didn't fuel enough, or it could be a combination of both, but, but water and fluid really play into the equation as well. Yeah. And I, I think um, that's, that's one thing that, um, like I know a lot of triathletes and quite a few who, uh, who won't drink during a swim session because they say that, well, in an Ironman, you know, I'm not going to be able to get a drink halfway through the swim, but, uh, that's a very old school approach. I mean, back, I think it was, you know, the eighties, the nineties, they used to, um, the swim coaches used to not let their swimmers drink because they thought it would make them tougher by not allowing them to hydrate throughout a session. Mm-hmm. But 
it, you know, we know now that you've really just got to be refueling and, and hydrating throughout the session to get the most out of that particular session. So, uh, what are your what are your thoughts on not drinking through, let's say, a seventy five minute to ninety minute swim training session? No, we definitely need to dehydrate. We need to hydrate during that time. And it's really individual because especially with swimming, it's really hard to notice that you sweat because you're in the water. And there are ways we can determine how much we are sweating, mostly with, you know, taking your weight. But it's really important to notice that regardless of the fact that you're in water, you are in fact sweating and you have to recognize that you're losing a lot of water when you're sweating. So we need to replace that, you know, just a, a, a small decrease in a small amount of dehydration, say 2%, 2 to 3% can really have a tremendous impact on your performance. Yeah, absolutely. And you can, you can always feel it when you are dehydrated and the same thing goes when you're, uh, if you ever train in a really warm pool, I mean, back, when I was training uh, full-time as a teenager, there was a swimming pool that we used to train that was about 30 degrees Celsius. So I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, but it's uh, it's probably two to three degrees warmer than than your average or your, your average competition pool. And uh, and you couldn't take enough water in to stay hydrated for that session. So even if you had two or three bottles for that 90-minute session, you'd finish that that training session and still just be so thirsty and it'd be very hard to maintain your times for that, that whole set. And, um, you know, it's just, uh, it really does impact upon your performance. And I know, uh, I coach a master squad and I think that's probably the, probably one of the main things that most people miss is just, just not hydrating enough. You know, if you're not going through at least a bottle for, you know, a bottle an hour for a training session, uh, particularly a hard training session, then I don't think you're really getting enough fluids into um to be able to you know maintain and and um, get through that whole session you know performing well right and there's a really easy way we can monitor how much water we're getting if we're not getting enough one we can monitor our weight so if you know someone weighs themselves before they go into their training session and after if they have lost a couple pounds they lost water and they need to make sure they're putting that back so for every pound of water that you lose during a training session you should be making sure you take in at least 16 to 20 ounces of water um, back during that training session. So let's say an ounce is 240 milliliters. And then, or yeah, eight ounces is 240 milliliters. And if if we also need to monitor our urine, so if your urine is, let's say, clear to light yellow, that's good. You don't want it to be really dark and concentrated. That means you're not getting enough water. So just those two simple tactics are really easy ways to monitor whether or not someone's getting enough water. And do you recommend to your clients to have a certain amount of fluids after they wake up in the morning because you know you dehydrate a lot overnight and um and when you wee it's it's always quite quite dark in the morning so is there a certain amount of fluids that you recommend your clients take in so i don't necessarily navigate to a particular number a particular number of of amount of water but i do recommend that people start hydrating from the moment they wake up okay great and, and then in terms of uh, a swimming training session, so if someone's training for 75 minutes, would you suggest uh, them to have anything other than water or you know, have a bottle of, let's say it was Gatorade and then a bottle of water or, or can they get by on just water for a session that's about 75 minutes to 90 minutes? 
75 minutes to 90 minutes would probably require some additional sort of fuel. So generally speaking, at that 45 minute to 60 minute point is when people need to start refueling. If your exercise session is only about an hour, most people can get by with just water or maybe a sports drink. But after that that time period, that 45 minute, 60 minute period, you really want to think about refueling with some carbohydrates. So it could be in the form of a sports drink. It could be as simple as, you know, those goos or some gummy bears or fruit snacks, some fruit or a fruit leather. It could be, it has, it doesn't have to be a lot. It can be a hundred calories worth of something or, you know, 15 grams of carbohydrate, which is really 60 calories of something. So it's really not a lot. It's, and, and that should really get you through 75 minutes. Okay, so around that the hour mark, past the hour mm-hmm. mark is when you need to think about taking something in other than water. Yeah, and if, you're, if, if your session's only 75 minutes, then maybe it's better for you, and it really depends on how that training session goes. Maybe it's, you know, refueling at that halfway mark or the three-quarters mark. You know, maybe it's a different, maybe it's not at that 60-minute mark, but it's about giving yourself enough fuel so that you can get it through the, that end, that tail end. Okay. Great. And, and then with recovery after, after a training session, so what's, what sort of window do you recommend uh, people to have uh, to, to refuel by to, to take something in after a training session? So immediately, if you can, is really the the first recommendation. And if you can't do it immediately, then really within 45 minutes to an hour is really that that prime window. And you want to make sure you're taking in some protein. So it could be 10 to 20 grams of protein, not a whole lot. And then, you know, mostly carbohydrates. So double the amount of carbohydrate at least, um, if if not more, carbohydrate to, to maximize recovery. And do if the sessions are uh, different, so let's say you, know, you do one training session and it's all it's all just aerobic based. It's it's quite low heart rate, um, and you're not really going anything above a seventy percent effort. Would you refuel differently if you do that kind of session compared to uh, a session where you you're doing some high intensity work? So you might be doing um, 50, 50 sprints, you know, doing fifteen to twenty of those, um, where you're really working. Uh, above ninety percent, would you change what you, how you refuel after a session, depending on what kind of session it is? So, in a general sense, no. It's always going to be a little bit of protein and a more carbohydrate. But the where it would become different is the amount. So, really, how much does that person need? And it's all individual. You know, is this person taking in a lot of calories over the course of the day and can afford to eat more at that time, or is it you know where we have to maximize calories at this particular point in time because you're let's say, consuming less calories than you normally would. Maybe you're trying to make weight for something, whatever. And so it really depends on um, the individual with regards to the total amount calorie-wise. But in general, it's always going to be a little bit of protein with more carbohydrate. So what sort of stuff do you recommend people have, let's say, after swimming uh, in particular? What what sort of... Um... Yeah, what sort of things would you, you recommend um, people have that's, that's easy to bring along to the pool, keep in their bag and, and get access to straight away after a swim session? Yeah, so a peanut butter and jelly sandwich is a perfect thing to throw in a backpack and keep in your bag um, with a piece of fruit. Chocolate milk is a good one to carry around. Maybe you may, if you have a refrigerator nearby or if it hasn't been on the refrigerator for a long time. 
Uh, other sandwiches like a turkey sandwich and another piece of fruit, banana or something, also really easy to bring along with you. Greek yogurt and fruit, um, those are pretty portable. Also, a lot of people carry around your shaker cups, so maybe you take in some milk and throw in a whey protein or something, and you can just shake it up right then and there, even mix it with water. But I would generally recommend you mix that protein with some sort of carbohydrate, whether it's milk that has some in it or some juice, um, so that you can get in that carbohydrate. Or you just eat fruit on the side so that you get carbohydrate that way as well. But those are all pretty portable options. Yeah, yeah, they're uh, easy to, to take along with you. And, and I just want to talk about some of the common misconceptions that you hear about food and nutrition. And you sort of um, brought one up earlier before in terms of the uh, in terms of carbohydrates getting a bad rap in the last year or two. Um, what are some other common misconceptions that, that you sort of hear? Yeah, I mean, generally you could fill in the blank with that one. Carbohydrates are bad, fats are bad, protein is bad. Protein, we're eating again. I mean, you could fill in the blank with all of it. But generally speaking, all macronutrients, fat, protein, carbohydrate are needed in the right amounts. And there are some better choices than others, but we need all of them. So that would be number one. Um, Another big misconception is uh, that there's a one-size-fits-all approach to fueling, and really, it's there. It's not that way at all. It's we are all human, and it's as simple and it's as complex as we are human beings. You know, the, we're we're very much learning more and more about how unique each of us really is. So. If you think about the, you know, the approach to nutrition should just be like your approach to physically training, and you don't do that. Everyone doesn't have the same physical training program, so you have to think about it in the sense that nutrition is the same way. Like we're not all going to be training the same way, so we all shouldn't be eating exactly the same way. Yeah, and you can relate that back to swimming as well. It's um, as you mentioned earlier that uh, nutrition is it's partly art, partly science, and the same thing goes with swimming. When we run our freestyle clinics. Um, some people are going to respond better to different drills and to different styles of freestyle. So there's there's not just one way to swim freestyle. You get a lot of different techniques and, and some that will work better for um, for others and, and not so good for others. So it's um, – yeah, it's, I think it's really just about getting – the right advice that's that's right for you and figuring out along the way as well so um you've got to kind of just find out what works for you what what fits with with what you're doing during the day and um and what your you know what your stomach can handle and you know and, and how you respond to um to different types of food so yeah i think it's uh it, we, like everything it's it's very individual and i mean i think there's there's fundamentals for for everything I mean, when we run our freestyle mm -hmm. clinics, we, we take people through uh, each of the, the fundamentals of freestyle that no matter what type of stroke you've got, um, they're, you know, you, you find them among all those different types of freestyle. Um, but then it's about figuring out the, you know, the little details in between for, for that person. That's exactly right. I mean, you nailed it. It's it's there are fundamentals. We all want to eat more fruits and vegetables. We should be eating more fruits and vegetables and whole grains and lean protein and good fats. And everyone should be doing that across the board. And those are the fundamentals of nutrition. And those don't really change. But the what it comes down to being unique is in that nutrient timing and in those amounts and exactly what you said in what you can handle and what your stomach can handle what fits well with you you know some people really don't like and some people just don't like certain things right so it, it really comes down to just those those pieces 
Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, you've worked with a lot of um, athletes and you know, and people who aren't athletes as well. So what, um, can you give me some examples of people you've worked with and they've made changes to their diet uh, and, and got better results because of it? Because, I mean, uh, a lot of people have different goals. It might be weight loss. It might be weight gain. It might be just looking to be able to recover better for the next session. So um, can you give me a few examples of, of people that you've worked with yeah, who have, who have seen some good results with these, um, I guess, a personalized approach to their diet? Yeah. So, um, one, one woman comes to mind, uh, I've worked with, uh, with her a couple of times. Uh, she's in her sixties and she's really just trying to keep an active lifestyle. She plays basketball, she plays softball. Um, and just a few months ago, maybe not even a few months ago, she, she said that she had played possibly the best game she had ever played in years. And really all it took, it, really the only thing that we did was one, incorporate more food and make it so that she knew when to be prepared, what to keep with her at all times, what worked, you know, with her schedule and, and, and really reminding her that food was a crucial part of the puzzle because much of the time food was just sort of the, I don't really need it and I'm not thinking about it and I'm not prepared. So I don't have to worry about it. I don't want to really grab something. It really was just all about like making it a priority again. And that was really the only change we made. And she's been playing great and she's had great results. She feels energized and she's, she's, I mean, she's in her sixties and we all want to feel that way when we, as we grow older. Right. Um, another, another guy that I've worked with recently, um, he's uh, mainly a cyclist and, the when we when we sat down and, and talked about what he needed to do, um, he was really doing all the right things, and that's a common story with with athletes. Is you know they're doing all the right things. So what is it that we're going to change to make you better? And with him, it was just uh, incorporating nighttime snacks because he was getting up super early in the morning to get on his bike, and 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 he couldn't eat enough in the morning to make to make his um, performance what he wanted it to be. And so it was just about incorporating nighttime snacks so that he had a little bit more that night before to carry him into that night because we're really, I mean, we're still living when we're sleeping. So a lot of that energy is being utilized. And then, you know, when he got up in the morning, he wasn't as depleted and he could eat something like he, you know, normally did. And it made a huge difference. Yeah, that's, uh, I really like that. And I think when you focus on, um, oh, I guess when you get the right information about a certain part of your life, and I'm just relating this back to uh, back to, to swimming, is like we ran some clinics on the weekend in uh, Newcastle and Sydney here in Australia, and, and one of the guys emailed me on Monday, and he went to the clinic on Saturday, and he, he said, I went to the, the local sea bars where he normally swims, and his, his 100-meter times were 20 seconds quicker than what he'd normally do. And it's, you know, it's not rocket science what we, we teach. It's just really giving them the, the fundamentals and the basics of swimming and giving them two or three things to, uh, to consider and think about and change with their stroke. And when they do that, it's like you know, everything just really starts to come together that they kind of find that missing piece of the puzzle. And it sounds very much like what you're talking about there with, um, with the two people that you spoke about is, um, that, you know, they just don't quite know where they're, where they're missing out, um, with their diet. So you, you can kind of take that, that 3,000, 30,000 foot 
view of things and say, well, you know, have you, have you considered doing this and this? And, um, and then they make those changes and it, it all starts to, to click. Right. And it's, you're right. It's not rocket science and we're not doing huge things here. We're, mm. we're making very small tweaks and that's not the point. Like, especially with my approach, my approach is not to completely revamp what you're doing. My approach is to go in and make small tweaks to the things that you're already doing, because then you know that you're more likely to stick with it. Because if I hand you a piece of paper that has a completely different plan than what you're used to, you're not going to follow it. You're going to be like, oh yeah, this is great. And then you're going to follow it for one day and you're going to be like, I can't do this. This is not my life. This is not my routine. So it's really about taking a step back and making tweaks to the things you already do versus you know, starting blank with a blank slate, which is not sustainable. Yeah, it's just like changing a, a habit. Like if you're trying to give up chocolate at night, mm-hmm. you know, replace it with something sweet. It might be fruit or or something, but it's you know, it's very hard to completely change everything that you're doing. So yeah, I think those those small tweaks, um, where and being able to keep similar, if not the you know the same sorts of habits, but just making those minor tweaks is um, is the easiest way to do it. Um, what what type of athletes should seek a personal plan like that from from someone like yourself or or a nutritionist any really any of them um you know almost anyone could benefit from working with a nutritionist but really in general you know a nutritionist or a dietitian could really help create a personalized plan and and do exactly what you just said take a big step back and look at it from, you know, 30,000 feet and say, you know, what is it that we can change that's really small? Um, And also he or she can help work through challenges and difficulties with you. Many times it's really just about fine tuning. um, And, and sometimes that's not something you can do yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's exactly it. I mean, I think back to when I've changed my uh, diet for the better, it hasn't come from me just kind of looking at what I'm eating. It's come from outside sources. I might have been, might have been speaking to um, to a friend or um, you know another triathlete or swimmer, and they've they've mentioned what they what they're eating at, at certain times, and you know I've played around with it, and and some things have worked and some things haven't. But it's it's always sort of come from an outside source. So um, yeah, getting someone else to kind of take a, a look at what you're doing um, can be can be so helpful. Um, you mentioned before we were on the call, you mentioned uh, about supplements and you get a lot of questions about, about what supplements people should have. What's, what's your approach to just taking supplements for, for most people? Yeah, so I'm a very much a food first approach kind of person, but you know, sometimes supplements can help us in many different ways. Um, a couple of them that I sort of you know, keep in the bag of tricks, if you will. Um, multivitamins are uh, what I would call a great insurance plan. <laughs> so they they're not going to they're not going to be a magic pill. They're not going to take the place of proper rest, recovery, re- refueling. Um, they're not going to take the place of any of those things. But what they can do is they can help to fill nutrient gaps that aren't otherwise met through food. And sometimes athletes aren't meeting recommended intake levels because maybe they're consuming uh, uh, too few calories. Um, you know, maybe they just, you know, they're not eating enough circumstances or eating at enough times during the day to get in enough of their nutrients. So a multivitamin is a good um, insurance plan, if you will. I just would caution people in general when it comes to supplements is to really look for when they're buying them 
to look for third-party tested and verified products. And, and you'll see that on labels. Um, a couple that we have here in the U.S. and maybe in Australia, too. I'm not quite sure. I should have looked that up before we got on this podcast. Um, but the NSF Certified for Sport is, is a big one. And also the, the USP or the US Pharmacopeia verifies. Um, so you, if you look at the labels, you can generally see third-party verifications. And I know that the, the, the rules and the regulations are different country to country. So you just want to make sure you know what you're getting into. Yeah, and I mean, um, you've got to be careful with uh, if you get cheap supplements online from, from companies that you know, aren't that well-known, they can... I know they've done a lot of tests with what's actually in the the supplements, and half the time they haven't got the what they say they've got in them, um, and or they haven't got the you know the right amount, and they've got some other things in them. So you, you want to, it's I think it's worth spending a little bit of extra money to know that you're getting the right thing when it comes to supplements. Yeah, you. I mean that, and that third part. Third-party verification really helps to ensure that there's no cross-contamination and that there, you know, that there there wasn't any um, that there's you know product ingredient safety, especially if you are undergoing any sort of drug testing. If you're competing, you really want to make sure that you're not going to be involved in some cross-contamination issue. Yeah, because I mean, a lot of the um, a lot of supplements are made in the same. Factories, it's they just mm-hmm. uh, for different companies, and so you've yeah, that's right. You've got to um, yeah, you don't want to. You, it's not worth the the risk of being caught with something that you that you shouldn't be using. Um, just, exactly. Yeah, just for the sake of uh, saving a few dollars. Yeah. Um, another another supplement that is helpful or can be helpful is whey protein and specifically whey protein isolate. So we've got whey protein isolate, we've got whey protein concentrate. Most of your whey proteins are a combination of, of the two, but your whey protein isolate is, is generally digested and absorbed really quickly. And it can be a good source of protein when it when we might not be able to get enough through food. And sometimes people struggle, especially people that are eating a lot and require a lot of calories in general. Sometimes it's just a very easy, convenient, versatile um, source of protein, which is which is helpful. And you can carry it around in a little plastic baggie. I mean, it might look like drugs, but it's not. And <laughs> you can carry it around a little plastic bag and throw it in your shaker cup um, and be on your way with your whey protein. I've always been careful about traveling overseas. I, yeah. You know, if I'm <laughs> training overseas, I always just take the uh, the powder in its normal little uh, container rather than a plastic bag just to... Uh, yeah, I don't want to risk avoid that. that. <laughs> that's a good that's a good tip. You know, when you're traveling yeah. across borders, you should make sure to keep it in the container that it comes in. <laughs> yeah, same same thing with uh, pills and in tablets. You know, it's just keep keep them in their original packaging, and there'll be less questions asked if uh, if they pull you up. <laughs> Exactly. Um, and the other one that I just wanted to flag, I get questions about sometimes is caffeine. And caffeine can be really, can provide a lot of positive results in the right doses. Some people are super sensitive to caffeine and it may cause jitterness, jittery. You may, Oh my goodness. It may cause you to be jittery or have anxiety or an increase. Yeah, me. I've had too much coffee. No. Um, But some people react to it really well in the right doses. Um, But again, word of caution, because again, if you are undergoing drug testing, caffeine is 
in some cases limited in concentration. So you just want to check with whatever governing body is, you know, overseeing where you're competing and check with the, the you know, the prohibited sus- substance list and it will give you those those values of what, what the concentration limits are. Good stuff. And and uh, for people who want to get in touch with you and um, and you mentioned uh, before on the call that you, you do online or virtual consults. So if anyone's looking to you know, get a bit of a personalized plan and approach to their nutrition, if you're a swimmer or triathlete, uh, then how can people get in touch with you and, uh, yeah, and talk to you about that? Yeah, they can visit us at Ritter Sports Performance. So that's Ritter SP dot com backslash nutrition and they can get in touch with me that way awesome and we had uh yeah we had one of your um co-workers on we had chris on talking about strength and conditioning i think it was about two episodes ago and uh and he was excellent and i got quite a few emails from people talking about um just yeah they learned a lot from that podcast and they've gone away and, and added some things to their strength training program uh, just based on that podcast. And I'm sure people will do the same uh, from this one. So Steph, thank you so much for being on the podcast and I'll uh, make sure I'll link to to the, uh, the website in the show notes. And uh, it's been great having you on. Sure. Yeah, I loved it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us on the Effortless Swimming Podcast. To get transcriptions, bonus videos, and to be the first to hear about new episodes, go to swimmingpodcast.com.